In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, what a week it's been, dear friends. The word unprecedented, which rings hollow these days after hearing it for a year, actually doesn't even seem to fit. In fact, um, thinking about the pandemic is almost a welcomed reprieve from what we've been through this past week, as we've gone through, hopefully, some of the most uncharacteristic days we will face in a generation. It's truly been one for the record books, and I pray that you're home as well, pray that your families are well, and through local mission funds here at the church, we'll try to partner with those groups here in the community to help as we're able. And if you need something, if we can pray for you or we can help support and connect you, do let us know or let the staff know, and we will do our best to try to connect you with the resources as may be needful. Today, uh, as we embark on this first Sunday in Lent, in light of all that, it feels as though we've faced plenty of lack this week, doesn't it? And if we're honest, and it's okay to be honest before God, we may not have much of an appetite right now to even think about Lent, to think about the obscurities of Lenten disciplines and what we give up. But in many ways, that's a good place to start, because Lent is less about lack less about obscurities that we place and interruptions to our lives over the next 40 days than it is about love, namely God's great love toward us. Remember where we're headed. The end of the 40-day journey leads us to the cross on Good Friday, whereby in the annual reminder, we are reminded of what we see every time we step into this church, namely Jesus' sacrifice for us. And Lent, really, in the disciplines that we take on, should not be fully shirked. Maybe you need a little time to get your mind wrapped around it or to begin to think about what that might look like for you. But they are a good thing because self-denial and the Lenten lack often helps us offload the things in our hearts and lives that prevent us from more fully wrapping our arms around God's great love for us because of the sins we carry, because of the things that we weigh around with, because of the ways that we fill our days and our hearts and our lives that don't leave us fully able to embrace it. So as we reflect on the Lenten lack and the things that we may deny ourselves, certainly for a season in Lent, um, it's a pattern that helps us when we face lack externally as we've faced this past week. Because in many ways, when we lack, it confronts us with our own idols, confronts us with our own challenges, and even it confronts us with our own presumptions about God, and at times, the ways that we project upon God that He may be lacking in some way. For instance, if you give up alcohol during Lent, um, it confronts you with your way of coping with the stresses and the strains of life. Can we press into God rather than pressing into a glass or a bottle? Can we do that for 40 days? And as we think about other ways, maybe shopping is one thing you might give up, not for food perhaps, but um, other things that you don't need. Um, as you think about that, it helps you think about where do you find pleasure or perhaps where do you find self-validation? And can we find that in the arms of our Savior rather than in other things that may clutter our lives? The 
age-old Lenten lack of food that is placed upon us often allows us to have time and space whereby we realize that we are indeed weak and not self-sufficient as we like to um, give ourselves this benefit of a doubt towards that end. And might we rely more upon the Lord and less upon ourselves towards that end. You see, the Lenten lack reveals our loves, it reveals our idols, and even our baggage. And so it's a healthy thing, it's a good and godly thing to take on such spiritual disciplines for a season to create space and to create time to contemplate such things whereby we may draw nearer to God, which is ultimately the goal of this season. So bearing that in mind, as we reflect on this today, I'd invite you to revisit Mark chapter 1 um, with me that we heard moments ago. Beginning in verse 9, you can follow along in your Bible or bulletin or in person on the screens. What I want to do actually is something a little different. Namely, as we think about the Lenten lack and what we place upon ourselves in this time, it often confronts us with three projections we see in this passage that we may think God is lacking and that we need to confront in order to draw near to Him in some way. The first um, comes rather early. Interestingly, we pick up in this reading in verse 9, which is not the temptation of Jesus. It's actually the baptism of Jesus in Mark's account. And that's intentionally done because while we visit the baptism of Jesus on the heels of Christmas in this tradition as we work our way through the Scriptures, um, we mustn't miss um, something about God's character revealed before we get into this uh, account of Jesus' temptation. Namely, it's in the baptism of Jesus in verses 9 through 11 that we see God's great love. Not only does God confirm who Jesus is, namely God incarnate, the Son of God, and it launches Jesus' ministry, but we see in verse 11 those loving words we read several weeks ago, that you are my beloved Son, God says over Jesus, and with you I am well pleased." Now, in Mark's account, no sooner are those words uttered than Jesus is thrust into the wilderness where he faces temptation. Mark doesn't want us to miss something, that these loving words linger in Jesus' mind as he is out in the wilderness facing temptations and trials at every step along the way. Tempted in every way as we are, yet he did not sin. He didn't fail or turn from God in the trials and temptations as his forebears did in their 40 years in the wilderness, as we see in Exodus. Um, he didn't lack in his response to God's love, but rather embraces it obediently. Jesus, as we know, representative of all of Israel, would display a faithfulness um, that would open the promised land to the very presence of God and heaven itself. To all who would believe in him. And unlike Israel, or even further back, our first parents, Adam and Eve, Jesus would not be disqualified or derailed by disobedience as they were. The devil's diabolical plot to subvert God's plans once again are checked and thwarted in Jesus, and thanks be to God for that. So as we reflect on that and what it has to say for us, we face trials and temptations external to us, as we've seen this last week. But in Lent, often there will be little mini trials and temptations if you indeed go through the Lenten lack and a discipline of some form of self-denial. 
And there's a very important lesson that arises as we face such trials and temptations, either of our own fashioning or external to us, and it's this, that the trials and the temptations that we face do not mean that there is a lack of God's love toward us. The trials and the temptations that we face do not signify a lack of God's love toward us. Let's see if that'll move forward for us here. All right, so there you go. They don't come as a result of God's lack of care toward us. We know that, of course, intellectually, but deep down at times, these sorts of doubts creep in in such seasons. And we do well to recall once more the words that are spoken over Jesus in his baptism are spoken over you in your baptism. Remember again, um, you are one in whom God dwells and delights as the Holy Spirit resides in you by virtue of your baptism. And these words of God, you are a beloved child of God, with you I am well pleased, carry you through the seasons of trials and temptations. They don't change that. And if we forget that, if we fail to embrace that, we can be deceived at times to think that the trials and the chances and the temptations of life that we face are somehow God's divine punishment or that God doesn't care or that we are somehow outside of his concern for us. Now, of course, sometimes um, the things we face are of our own fashioning. But more broadly, um, we should see, of course, that even in those times, God cares and loves for us. Another piece of this is, of course, that while the temptations come through the devil, God uses those temptations to test our character and to form us more fully into the character of Jesus. And as we pass through them, it forms within us something far greater. And as we pass through them, we have a choice, just as we did um, this past week, did we not? Um, when we went through all the challenges we faced, how do we respond? Do we begrudge those in our own household when we're frustrated? Do we pass blame and judgment on everybody else? Um, are we irritable and, and upset with, with others? It's okay to be upset, but what do we do with that? Or do we turn it around in prayer? Um, do we reach out in love? Do we lift up one another um, and so point to Jesus in our words and in our deeds? When we lack in Lent, when we give something up, those moments uh, forge within us the character of Jesus and the identity in Christ that we find in Him. Simply put, the lack in Lent, as in other times of trial and temptation, can either derail us or they can define us. And God purposes that they define us and further refine us into the character of Jesus. There's a second closely related lesson here that we find actually back in the short temptation account of Jesus in verse 13. Take a look back at it with me. Um, the point is this. It's actually in the length of time that Jesus is in the wilderness. We know that length of time is 40 days. We know the biblical numerology that it calls forth from our understanding of Scripture even as, as children, right? Um, it mirrors the 40 days and 40 nights we heard of Noah in Genesis earlier. Um, it mirrors the 40 years of the Israelites in the wilderness. Um, we, too, walk a 40-day journey that began last Wednesday to Easter Sunday, excluding Sundays, of course, um, in this season of Lent that we are in. It all makes sense to us. But when we go through a journey or an extended period of trial and temptation, while it may make sense, it isn't 
easy. If anything has come forth out of this past week, just a few days with challenges cause us to realize this very fact. And at times, one of those challenges that we have to wrestle down and sometimes gets projected upon God himself is why? Why does God allow the journey? Why does he allow it to drag on? Why does he allow the time to move forward at a snail's pace? Why doesn't he just fix it all immediately? Now, I can't presume, nor would I begin to presume, to answer some of those big questions. But what I can tell you with absolute certainty is this. The lack um, that we feel at times and the journey that we face does not mean that God lacks control. In fact, speaking from experience, it's often in the journey that I discover that God's in control. It's in the journey that I often discover that He is able to do far more than I can ask or imagine. Sure, God can, and He does at times, divinely intervene and heal or restore relationships, transform challenges into cheering points, but more often than not, it's in the journey that I discover not only that He is in control, but the ways that He wants me to grow more further into the likeness of Jesus through those days. My discernment and call to ministry for most of my life, my discernment and call to marriage, my discernment and call to serve you at this church for the past decade have come in the journey more often than not. And as I look back, I'm grateful for the journey because I didn't just learn that God was in control, but I learned to sit in God's presence, to hear His voice, to persevere, to find patience and joy and fortitude and all of those things that we see mirrored in the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians. Because it's in the journey that God purposes at times to grow us, in my case, sometimes just incrementally, but a bit more in the character of Jesus. And perhaps the journeys could be shorter if I obeyed more quickly, maybe a little less painful had I listened a little sooner. But in them, as the Holy Spirit is at work in us and we cooperate with our will, we draw nearer to Jesus. And so Lent is just a small journey that we embark upon, whereby of our own choice, our own volition, we choose to deny ourselves of something so that we may be reminded and have a template from which to draw when we face trials, challenges, and temptations that are external to us. It gives us something from which to draw, and it gives us something to point to when we point to that in others' lives, which is always the goal, of course. Now, there's one final point here, actually back at the verse uh, that we left off in, in 13, at the end, that's an interesting one for us to reflect on as we close. Notice in Mark's brevity, which is really only two verses in his account of Jesus' temptation, he ends with Jesus is among the wild animals, and the angels are ministering to him. Now, just a little bit of biblical orientation here. We remember Mark is the briefest of the gospel writers. So when Mark says something, it's very intentional because he often doesn't uh, add extra fluff and words as some of the others may do. So it leads us to question, what of this? What of these wild animals and what's going on here? Um, well, there's a couple of thoughts that the wild animals may just quite simply symbolize that there's a threat to Jesus as he's out in the wilderness. Or on a deeper level, it may actually symbolize that Jesus is in the garden. There's a new and a second Adam, as Paul pulls that in in his epistles. And there's something far greater beginning to unfold in the beginning of Jesus' ministry that sets all things in motion and brings things aright. Or perhaps it's a little bit of both. 
In either case, what we know is this, that in the midst of all of that, the angels attend to Jesus, but don't miss this. The angels don't intervene for Jesus. They're just there, ministering to Jesus. They don't change the circumstances, nor do they when Jesus hangs upon the cross. Jesus could call them in to an active role, of course, but he does not. They're there to remind us that God is present. God is present in the trials and the temptations, and his loving care is with us just as it is with Jesus in the journey. And so as we go through this season of Lent, as well as other seasons, we do well to recall that. And also, I think it confronts us with one last thing we have to wrestle down, that in the midst of those times, um, we ask ourselves, if God is present, where is he and why doesn't he change it here and now? Um, and what of that? And there's a deeper connection that we should make, namely that our final point is this, God's inaction does not mean that God lacks power. And I think we should think about that in light of all we go through. We get that intellectually as believers. Of course, God is omnipotent. We get that he is in control. But when the journey rolls on, when the trials don't end, when we face besetting sins for an entire lifetime, when um, the things external to us don't seem to end, we just hear the doubts in our minds, why can't God just fix it now? Well, in many ways, he is, and we don't see it. And that's the reminder for us in the pages of Scripture. We don't always get the glimpse into the spiritual realm of all that is going on. But we have this wonderful assurance here that Jesus is attended to by the angels. And while we can't see the spiritual realm, we may not always see the ways that God checks the hand of our foe, much as he did in the glimpse that we see in the whole book of Job, in the ways that he held uh, up Job, even in all that he faced. That in the face of trials and temptations, maybe there are ways that God has attended to us. The fact that we're sitting in this church and we didn't have burst pipes and we have power and air this morning is a great testimony to that fact. There's all sorts of little ways that we often forget that Jesus is attending to us just as the angels were attending to him. And all things will be well, all things will be set right, but in the meantime, in God's mercy and grace, we, as the church, are called to pull as many onto the lifeboat as possible so that they may find the grace, the healing, and the forgiveness that we have found. So, as we ponder these things, and as we embark on this first Sunday in our Lenten journey, may we reflect upon why we deny ourselves of certain things. And may we not fall into the traps of our enemy to see that temptation does not mean there's a lack of God's love, but rather God's love carries us and sustains us through trials and temptations. And that the journey itself does not mean that God's lacking in control, but rather he's producing his character, the character of Jesus, more fully formed within us. And then finally, that God is not lacking in action, um, and his lack of action doesn't mean immediately the lack of his power, because we often fail to see the ways that he's acting and providing and delivering us. And we find that when we return to him in gratitude for the simple things. So may we, as we were charged in an unusual way, virtually, on Wednesday, keep a holy Lent. And may we walk these days together. As we do so, may the grace of God a bit more fully form the character of Jesus within us as we take on disciplines towards that end to forge that more fully within us. 
And may Jesus be made known to you as you draw near to him in the days ahead. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.